0: Welcome to Kessler Foundation's 2017 Multiple Sclerosis Consumer Conference, Improving Cognitive, Emotional, and Physical Health in Multiple Sclerosis. This conference is hosted by Kessler Foundation and is being funded by the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, grant number 1508-05940. This presentation was recorded and produced by Joan Banks Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation on Friday, October 13th, 2017 at the Westminster Hotel, 550 West Mount Pleasant Ave, Livingston, New Jersey. Be sure and check out all of the conference presentations. Just click on the description for the conference playlist and slide link. Our first session of the conference, Prevalence and Nature of Cognitive Deficits in MS, was presented by Dr. John DeLuca. Dr. DeLuca is internationally known for his work on cognitive processing, cognitive rehabilitation, neuroimaging, and fatigue in neurological populations. He is Senior Vice President for Research and Training at Kessler Foundation. Let's listen in.
1: I really like coming because it's you who who we really respond to. So I'm really glad that we have this opportunity to tell you a little bit about what we do. Um, I'd like to thank the National MS Society for uh, funding Kessler Foundation for 25 years. It's uh, really been great. Um, this is work is because of, of that kind of funding. So I have a lot to talk about, and that means I'm going to present a lot of things so it's really better if you, if you sort of listen and get the big picture rather than try to write everything down because it's going to be kind of tough. I want to just present as much as I can so that you can digest some, some of it and, um, and get a picture of it. So, so we're going to talk about cognitive function, cognitive dysfunction in MS. Um, and the first thing I'll do is I'll talk about what the cognitive problems are. Um, factors that affect cognition, the impact of everyday life, we'll talk about, although you know that better than, than I, and some of the, what are the key cognitive problems are, and in the end, if we get timed, really quickly, if there's any, uh, any impact of medication on improving cognition. Um, so first, from a person with MS. Appointment after appointment, Dr. X listened to my complaints but didn't take them seriously or relate them to MS. Compared to her patients in wheelchairs, my thinking symptoms must have appeared minor, but they were very powerful and had the potential to be just as devastating as the physical difficulties. Some of you may have experienced some of this before. So I don't need to explain what MS is to this group, of course, we all know. Um, Interestingly, you know, it's progressive disease, but we know there's plaques in the white matter, But for the past 20, 25 years, we know that there's gray matter. That means the neurons are actually affected. For 150 years, we thought it was just a white matter disease. And in fact, the impact on gray matter is actually the strongest correlate of problems with cognition. So we've been able to learn a lot. I'm going to talk about cognition. Um, Of course, we know there are sensory motor findings, fatigue, and neuropsychiatric aspects. You know, again, you all know about 450,000 individuals with MS in the United States, about 2.3 million worldwide. Age of onset is between 20 and 40 years, although kids as early as one year of age have been diagnosed with MS, Um, mostly two to three times more likely in females. And it's really the etiology is unknown, but it's thought to be an autoimmune disease triggered by a viral infection in genetically susceptible individuals. So, you know, the father of MS, as we all know, is Charcot, and 150 plus years ago, he said that persons with MS experience a marked enfeeblement of memory and conceptions are formed slowly. 150 years ago, he was talking about memory problems and slowed processing speed. That's something you'll want to remember throughout the day. Now, it's interesting because the turn into the 20th century and for the first half of the 20th century, there was a great debate as to whether cognitive problems was actually a feature of the disease itself. And many people said no, that there was no cognitive problems with MS. Uh, by the 1960s and into the 80s, I can tell you that in medical students were taught that cognitive problems was not a feature of the disease. And in the, in the 1970s, it was thought that only about 3% of people with MS had cognitive problems. And we know today that's, about, that's incorrect. About two-thirds of people have cognitive problems. So you can think of all the decades of people who've been complaining about cognitive problems who were just not listened to. From a person with MS, I thought I was losing my mind. It was difficult to explain to others what was happening when I didn't know myself. I do remember the fear and loneliness that went along with all this. I silently begged God Do what you will to my body, but please leave my mind alone. These are from patients with MS. So what is cognition? Let's start with that. If you look at the dictionary, you get a very simple, simple answer. The act or process of knowing. Well, we know it's a little bit more complicated than that. So um, we'll just go with this very quickly. So when you think about cognition, there's certain things that we would look at. One is receptive functions. That is sensory input, paying attention, rapid processing of incoming information, getting information and, and getting it into the brain. The second part is learning and memory. Once you get that into the brain, you need to learn it and then you need to remember it. And there are all kinds of issues associated with learning and memory which we'll talk about because it's not so simple. And then you take that information and you do something with it. You think about it. You have mental organizations, mental manipulation, and then you, you have to ex- execute that, a response executive function is to do something with what you've just learned and thought about or anywhere in these areas you can have problems in multiple sclerosis so to say you have this, do I have are there cognitive problems in MS is just not a good question you know if there are where in this process are the cognitive problems to what degree and what can we do about them so if we talk about what are the cognitive problems in MS we all know Cognition or MS is a very individualized disease. So there's no simple pattern. But there are some things that we know from the literature which are more likely. So the most likely problem if there's a problem in cognition is slowed processing speed. Speed of processing slows down. Okay, that's the, probably the biggest issue. It happens early in the disease and progresses. Second problem is learning and memory. And we'll talk about these two quite a bit. Uh, Learning and memory, and you'll see, what we'll get into that in more depth. Executive functions, like I said, once you've decided, you've remembered something, you've decided to do something, you need to plan what you're gonna do, or you need to organize, or initiate a response. There can be a problem in that, and oftentimes patients think that's a problem in my memory. But in fact, it may not be a memory problem, it may be an executive problem. And problems in perceptual processing. One area of new research is the area of social cognition. And I'm not going to get into this because we'll hear about it this afternoon. But this is one of the newest areas of study in MS and which we're heavily involved in at Kessler Foundation. So if you just look at a slide of the sort of where the cognitive problems are, you'll see they are primarily processing speed and learning and memory. Processing speed and learning and memory are the problems that you typically see most. But also, these are the areas that are typically most studied. It may be that we've understudied some of the other areas. If you look at the frequency of cognitive impairment across disease course, so if you look on the far left here, you see clinically isolated syndrome, where patients do not yet meet the full diagnosis of MS, uh, but 75 percent go on to get a diagnosis of MS. About a third of these individuals already are showing cognitive problems. Now in the relapsing remitting phase, you can see almost half of these individuals are showing cognitive problems. But the big thing to notice, of course, is in the progressive phase of the disease, here secondary progressive and primary progressive, 80 to 90 percent of these individuals have problems with cognition. This is a really important issue, important that we need to do much more study. Now, when we talk about cognitive problems, you know, I like to also say, well, you know, not everything's a problem. What are some areas in persons with MS where they're relatively spared? And this is important to know. So in just basic attention, as opposed to doing something with sustained attention or trying to attend to two or three things simultaneously, to generally attend to this lecture, most persons with MS can do that. Essential verbal skills are also fairly well intact. The ability to comprehend, express, name, or repeat generally intact. And perhaps the most important thing for people to know is intelligence. I hear all the time from patients, I'm just not as smart as I used to be. And you know, that's not accurate. You may have some issues with cognition. But that doesn't mean your intelligence has changed. Uh, you may be slower in problem-solving or slower in learning something. But, you know, I, like I always talk about, you know, you think about if your brain was a, I don't even know what we are today with processors, Pentium processor or with whatever the, pro, the latest process. If you were a high processing person, you know, you're now a 286. And the thing about the 286 processor is it got the right answer. It just took more time. Okay? But that doesn't mean you're not as intelligent. So that's a really important point that I want people to know. So when you think about progression of cognitive problems, this does happen in some individuals with MS. If you look at this slide here on the top, we have initial testing, four years and 10-year follow-up. On the left side, you have no cognitive problems, mild or moderate. And if you just look at the initial testing, 74 percent individuals that Time one did not have a cognitive problem. But then followed to 10 years later, only 44% had a cognitive problem. So there is a progression, and one of the best predictors of progression is early cognitive problems and early gray matter damage in the brain. So we do have some predictors, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But there is a progression, but not in everybody. The key for research is to find out in advance who might progress and what we can do about it. Some of the factors which may affect cognition, I'll get into some of these a little bit more. Disease course, like I just said, secondary progressive generally have uh, uh, of higher problems. By the way, I, when I get back to the individualized problems, there are a lot of people who have progressive MS, for example, who don't have cognitive problems. And there are individuals who have um, early onset and have a lot of cognitive problems. So that's the variability. There's no single pattern here. The disease duration, again, it can have an impact. Um, Fatigue, fatigue we'll hear about today can affect your cognition in the sense that you might feel fatigued and that fatigue might influence how you respond. But that doesn't mean that fatigue itself is going to result in decreased cognitive processing. That's really important. Depression, it may but not always, the same thing. You can, be, you can be fatigued and depressed and solve problems, fine. Uh, stress, the same thing. If some individuals are more susceptible to stress. It's how we all respond to stress. Essentially, just being a human, um, there's uh, issues of stress and cognition. Grey matter atrophy is a strong predictor. And male gender actually is a, a, a stronger, uh, it, males are at increased risk of having cognitive problems. So some of the other factors more specifically. So let's talk about fatigue. Um, so in this study, um, the study looked at fatigue from the beginning of a work day to the end of a work day. It said if fatigue is going to affect cognition, let's see what happens during work. So on the left side of the slide, baseline is really at the beginning of the day. MS subjects here are in blue. Healthy controls are in green. And there was no significant difference in self-reported fatigue. Okay? But what happens at the end of the day, you can see the MS subjects got significantly higher in reporting their fatigue, and the healthy controls did too, but not so much. So there was an increase in self-reported fatigue. So now, if fatigue increased, and if fatigue is associated with cognitive problems, then cognitive performance should get worse by the end of the day. So what did they find? Well, in fact, they did found that there was no difference in cognitive problems at the end of the day. When you actually measured cognition, this is just one example of what they found. There was no significant difference from the beginning of the day in a healthy controls or MS. There was a little bit by the end of the day. So if fatigue itself affects cognition, you should see an effect, and you don't always do that. So it's important to know that while you might feel fatigued and you might feel like I just can't think anymore, it doesn't mean that you can't. It means you're fatigued. Uh, another problem that can affect uh, MS. Ambient temperature, outdoor temperature. This is interesting. So we did a study where we looked at outdoor temperature and how it related to cognitive functioning. So here um, we have um, colder temperature and warmer temperature. Okay, colder temperature and warmer temperature. And on the, and the y-axis here is cognitive functioning. And this shows you that persons actually did worse when it was warmer than when it was cold. Okay, a lot of people have talked about that. However, what about in the same person? We actually had the opportunity to look at, to test the same person in the cold versus the warm. So that's a stronger uh, study. And when you do that, even in the same person, six months apart, that the same person actually does was performing worse in the warmer weather than the cold weather. So ambient temperature can have an influence on cognition. Oh, this is a big one. Ooh, this is a big one. <laughs> All right. Well, there are plenty of people now in New Jersey and, and other places who are, who are are marijuana, and for, I'm sure, very good reasons. But what's the influence of cannabis on cognition? This is a tough study, a slide, but I'll just show you because it's really to remind me. Uh, In this study, looking at cannabis users versus non-users, okay? Uh, In fact, cannabis users had significantly more problems on visual perception, executive function, processing speed, and global cognition. So cannabis users had more cognitive problems than non-cannabis users. And there were no group differences on the psychiatric variables. So it's not a psychiatric influence. It's something to do with actual cognition. And the authors from this paper said, whatever subjective benefits patients may derive from using street cannabis, such as pain or spasticity, which there is evidence that it does help, that should be weighed against the associated cognitive side effects. So something for you to keep in mind if you are using cannabis for medical purposes. How about cigarette smoking? Can you imagine cigarette smoking is good for you if you have MS? Um, Well, this is really interesting because cigarette smoking might actually trigger the disease itself. We know that. Um, It actually can facilitate the transformation from clinically isolated syndrome to MS diagnosis. It can increase relapse frequency and promote progression um, to, to progressive MS. Cigarette smoking is not good. What about cognition? Well, here are heavy smokers versus non smokers. And heavy smokers are twice as likely to have a cognitive problem than non smokers. And the good thing about this is that actually patients could do something about it stop smoking. Um, another uh, study here, <coughs> just to show you, <coughs> excuse me, um, about some of the early predictors of, of cognitive decline. This is a study. <coughs> Uh, looking at what some of the early predictors from early diagnosis to eight years later, and what they found was that the early cognitive problems early in the disease uh, had a better predictor of converting conversion to actually getting MS from CIS. Keep hitting the wrong button. The bis- disability progression was greater if you had cognitive problems early. The transition. From from relapsing and emitting to secondary progressive was was, was earlier if you had early cognitive problems. And thinning of the cortex of the brain was actually predicted if you had cognitive problems early on. This is just a slide of that data, what I just told you. Uh, This is no cognitive problems, mild cognitive problems, severe cognitive problems, no mild and severe, and here is just looking at change in disability scores. The greatest change in disability from time one to eight years later was greatest in the individuals who had severe cognitive problems, and the cortical thinning was a lot greater in individuals. uh, The change, they had a greater change in cortical thinning if you had severe cognitive problems early on in disease. So another important predictor. How about cognitive problems in everyday life? I really don't need to go through this with you all is a huge impact. This is just from the literature of all the things that can potentially have problems with cognitive problems. Employment, driving, social activities, family activities. The point is that this is all beyond the physical disabilities. These are simply due to the cognitive problems. And we've done some work with this. Um, So if you look at um, the number of individuals who've stopped working in MS, what you find is that about 60% of individuals are not working five years post-diagnosis. And, this is an, an, and these are individuals who are, who 95% of them are working. Five years post-diagnosis, they're not working. Yet. 60% are not working already. And a lot of that has to do with cognition. So we looked at uh, everyday life in cognition. I'll just give you one example. Driving. Oh, that's a tough one. So uh, we did a study, we looked at, we used a virtual reality driving simulator to see if there were problems with driving. And the reason why we did a virtual reality driving simulator is because in this, you could actually do things that ha- may happen in everyday life, like I was <laughs> doing today, where people make, you know, not necessarily, right decisions you know how do people with ms respond so in virtual reality we can have a a kid right out right out in front of you a car door open someone stop quickly at a stop sign how do patients with ms respond so we in this study we looked at ms subjects with very little to no physical disability we wanted to see the cognitive impact so we looked at individuals without cognitive problems with ms and patients with ms with cognitive problems what we found was here and healthy controls are in blue. In yellow, the individuals with MS who did not have cognitive problems didn't differ. But the individuals who had cognitive problems did significantly worse, okay. Now, that wasn't good enough, though, for us. We actually said, okay, this is just, this is just virtual reality. What happens in actual, real reality? So we were able to get the driving records of, of, with the patient's consent and uh, see what would happen with actual driving. And what we found was, that here yellow means no crashes, red is one or more crashes. Healthy controls or MS subjects without cognitive problems didn't differ. But individuals who were cognitively impaired actually had six times more driving crashes. Now, I'm not here to say you shouldn't drive if you have MS. I'm not here to say that, okay? Um, but I do say that, you know, as we become concerned about our physical disability, we also need to be concerned about cognitive and its, its impact. So assessing cognitive impairment, well, how do we assess cognitive problems? It sounds like it's very complicated. Um, Well, neurologist judgment uh, is actually poor. Neurologists are no greater than chance in identifying cognitive problems. No greater than chance. So the the neurologic exam and um, the interview are not enough. Um, So what about the patient's self-report? If the neurologists are not good at finding out what cognitive problems. Well, why don't we just ask the patient? Well, it turns out that the patient's self-report does not predict actual cognitive problems, on average. There are some that do, some that don't, on average. Patient's self-report tends to be more associated with emotional distress, how distressed somebody is about their condition, rather than the actual cognitive problems. So that means what do we have to do? The only way, the best way to really understand is to do an evaluation. You have to go through the areas that I've talked to you about, receptive functioning, learning and memory, thinking, executive function, and actually measure it. It's the gold standard. Why? Because they are highly correlated with brain imaging, and they predict everyday life activity. So the assessment is really important if you really need to know about what the cognitive problems are. Um, This is a survey by the CMSC on cognitive screening in MS clinics throughout the country. And I don't know if it includes Canada or not. And they simply asked, do you, how many patients are, how are patients screened for cognitive problems in your practice? And so what did they find? They found that 52% do nothing. Half of the clinics don't even ask. 20% ask the patient, self-report, and that's great. By the way, I'm the first person to say we need to listen to our patients, okay? But our job as clinicians is to know what our patients mean, not just what they say. But 20% at least ask the patient. Only 29% actually do any formal testing for cognitive problems, despite the fact that we know of all the issues that are associated with cognition. So let me get a little bit more into what the key cognitive problems are, a little bit more into that. I'm going to talk about information processing efficiency. This is really important, okay? And we define it as the speed of processing or remembering or or accuracy in performance. So those two things how I define working memory accuracy, uh, efficiency. But first, from a person with MS. Often I have a 5 to 15 second delay in recognizing what is going on. What is being said? Who I am talking to? Don't ask me a compound question unless you want me to shut down completely. One thing, at, one thing at a time and wait. Up until about a year ago, I thought MS would just be a physical battle. The cognitive problems obviously are, are key. So let's, let's talk about is, is processing speed the major issue or accuracy and performance the major issue? So. Here we just define processing speed as the amount of time it takes to do something. How much time does it take for you to complete a task? Or how much work can you get done in a set amount of time? That's how we measure processing speed. Working memory uh, is the temporary storage and active maintenance and manipulation of your thinking. That is keeping something in your mind and processing it and see if you get it right or wrong. So we're going to look at both of those and see which one of these two are the primary problems. Speed of processing or just being, working it out and being accurate. And we're going to talk about what we call odds ratios. So what are the odds or relative risk of having a processing speed problem or a working memory problem compared to the general population. Okay, so look at the risk. So in this study, Well, we did, we uh, looked at here we have all MS subjects versus healthy controls, and when we look at MS subjects, the odds of having a processing speed problem is 10 times higher in MS than the general population, 10 times higher. The odds of having a working memory problem is 2.7, which is also high, but processing speed is four times more likely than working memory than the general population to have a problem in MS. Now let's look at just relapsing and remitting MS. When you look at relapsing and remitting, the odds are five times higher, which is still five times higher. But the important point here is working memory. A 1.3 is not significantly different from the general population. So in relapsing and remitting, the primary problem is processing speed, not in being accurate in your responses. But look what happens to secondary progressive MS. The odds of having a processing speed problem in secondary progressive MS is 65 times higher than the general population. I mean, that is just huge. That is such a huge problem. Everybody with progressive MS should be assessed on cognition and in, where they go for their care. So, um, information processing speed is the primary issue in, when we talk about the efficiency of processing information. I'm going to go way beyond five minutes. He's giving me five minutes. <laughs> learning and memory. Okay. Uh, uh, See so I'm, I'm getting I am I'm getting I'm going like this. Is that it? <laughs> all right. Learning and memory. I have to go faster. Sorry. Um, learning and memory. Learning. We all know what learning memory is. It's the process of acquiring new information. Memory is is is, is taking the information and using it later on. So we think about learning and memory as a process, not remembering five words or three words in five minutes. That's not learning and memory. Learning and memory is in getting information from the environment. If it's important, it's stored in the brain. It's called consolidation. And then we can f- retrieve it later. Not everything is consolidated. Not everything we do is stored in the brain. But if it's deemed important enough, the, that's where we, we can find it. The issue, though, is, is the problem in learning to begin with? or in retrieving from long-term storage. This is critically important because it drives what we do. If the problem is in learning, we make sure people learn to begin with. If the problem is in retrieval, then we make sure that they can retrieve it. However, the literature was unclear about this when we first started, my first grant from the MS Society was to see if we could solve this problem. So we did a study, is in fact the problem a retrieval failure or a problem in learning? And what we did was, very simple, We made sure that MS subjects and healthy controls learned the same amount of information. How many trials does it take to learn the same amount of information? Now, if the problem is is that you can't remember it, you still will have a problem in retrieval. However, if the problem was you needed more trials to learn, there'll be no retrieval problems. What did we find? Here, it took subjects with MS almost two times longer to learn the same amount of information. Okay? But, When we asked, then after they learned, we found that there was no problem in recall and recognition. No problem. Well, okay, that was one study. Uh, Maybe maybe that was just a, a, a fluke. We did the same thing in another type of learning, another type of verbal memory. Took subjects more trials to learn. But MS subjects, after you made sure they learned, remembered the information just as good as healthy individuals, even up to one week later. There was no decline, no significant decline. And again, in the third study, again, we find the same thing. This told us that the problem was not retrieval from long-term storage. The problem was making sure you learned to begin with. And that's critically important because that's where rehabilitation is, and that's what we're going to hear from Dr. Cherbalati. because when I get kicked off. But that's the part. You have to know what the problem is before you can solve it. And so we took, we did all of this research to say that's where the problem is. And so we'll hear about that. Prominent problems in the acquisition of information. So can we improve cognitive problems? Just a couple words on on this. Um, Cognitive rehabilitation. You know, one of the things in science, they have these big reviews. They call these Cochrane Reviews from the Cochrane Library where they look at all these studies and somebody puts them together and they say the effects work or they don't work. Well, this Cochrane Review of Memory Rehabilitation with 1,000 persons with MS over 15 studies concluded that in fact there's significant evidence to improve memory in persons with MS on objective performance and quality of life. There is enough evidence that this works. Where I get frustrated while we have the evidence, There's there's not a lot of places where you can get this treatment, and insurance companies are certainly not paying for it. Most of the studies on cognitive rehab were done since 2010. You can see there's a lot of work going on with this right now. And I get asked by neurologists all the time, so can I just have my patients do video games? Can they go home and go to Lumosity and, uh, and, and this be their cognitive rehab? The answer is no. Now it won't hurt you, but the answer is that's not cognitive rehab. And you know, uh, a bunch of scientists, seventy-five scientists from around the world, got together who do this kind of research, and concluded that we object to the claim that brain games uh, offer consumers a scientifically grounded avenue to reduce or, re- or reverse cognitive problems when there's no compelling evidence to do so. Okay. In my second talk, we'll come back to that. But one thing you should know about is Lumosity. Um, And Lumosity, if you haven't heard, was fined by the Federal Trade Commission for false advertising. Um, And they were fined $2 million. And I'm just, these are just quotes from that. And and I'm just going to read it. Lumosity preyed on consumers' fears about age-related cognitive decline, suggesting their games could stave off memory loss dementia, even Alzheimer's disease. But Lumosity simply did not have the science to back it up. They said Lumosity claimed, and they didn't have the evidence for, improving performance in everyday tasks such as schoolwork and athletics, delaying age-related cognitive decline, protecting against mild cognitive impairment, dementia or Alzheimer's disease. They claimed they could reduce cognitive impairments associated with PTSD, stroke, traumatic brain injury. Um, and so, they're cl- you have to listen to their, if you listen to their advertisements now, they're very careful, by the way, they change their advertisement. Um, pharmacological approaches, I know I'm being pulled off the stage, so I'm just going to tell you very quickly, and this is easy, there's no pharmacological treatment for cognitive problems. You know, <clears throat> in principle, the, the disease-modifying therapies should actually do something, right? Um, they actually reduce brain lesions. They uh, actually prog- they, they lessen the progressive of atrophy over time. Uh, they decrease inflammatory activity in the brain, all of which should have an impact on cognition. Symptomatic drugs specifically focused on something like memory should have an effect too. If these drugs work in Alzheimer's, why don't they work in, in MS? Um, and so if I review the randomized control trials in of these DMTs and other drugs, what you find is, this is just telling you that there are a lot of methodological problems with these studies. Of the 20 studies, 13 showed no support and 7 did. Very mixed and not necessarily positive. If you look at the types of drugs that, where the studies are. Interferons, only one of three studies showed an effect. Acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, these are drugs used in Alzheimer's disease and, 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 and other diseases of um, memory disorders. Only two of six or uh, had showed a positive effect. L-amphetamine, which is not d There's some possibility, but again, very small studies, and everything else, you can see there's just not a lot of evidence. So the pharmacological aspects are not necessarily going to be helpful. So overall, about two-thirds of persons with MSF cognitive problems, processing speed and learning and memory, are the two primary areas, but executive functioning I'm sure is an area that we need to do more research on, um, significantly affects everyday life. Rehabilitation as we're going to see can significantly improve these cognitive problems. It's time for MS patients to get the treatment that they need. And can we build a cognitive reserve? That's, the, that's going to be the, my second talk is can we do something about it in that vein. Exercise will be in my next talk and medication is not much help. So um, thank you to uh, the people who really do the work, who keep me on my toes.
0: Be sure and stop by our Facebook page to listen to this podcast series and join in the conversation at our Twitter channel at KesslerFDN. To learn more about our research, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's www.kesslerfoundation.org.